What's up, buttholes? Welcome to the Bad Christian Podcast. Today's show is sponsored by Quip. Quip, makers of the Quip electric toothbrush, want you to know that good habits are what matter most for your dental care. No matter what brand you use, start right now and get your first refill free with a refill plan at getquip.com slash badchristian. That's getquip.com slash badchristian. All right, Reva, kick that music. Morning wood, it ain't no good. Morning wood, it ain't no good. Morning wood, it ain't no good. Morning wood, it ain't no All right, Reva, turn that music down a little bit. Let me tell y'all, guys, if that song didn't get, get you in a party mood, I'm in a party mood because we are sitting on Bourbon Street in New Orleans, and I cannot wait. As soon as we get done recording, I'm going to go walk and get a hurricane. Now, if you don't know what a hurricane is, Matt, how big is a hurricane drink? Well, I believe they have a variety of sizes. They're huge, them. though. It's well, the they can be small. Ones. Oh, yeah, I guess you can get a big, small one, too. Those are like a whole yard of a I think I need hurricane. a yard of, yeah. of a drink. <laughs> you need something, the kind of thing that would... that that looks like you're at a bachelorette party. Right, exactly Basically, that. Basically, is yeah, what yeah. you're looking for. And I, at my one of my all-time favorite things, and I found out on this tour that you can do it in Savannah, you can walk around in Savannah and here uh, with open container. Open container, and, care, open carry. And open. I just love it so mm-hmm. much. It's just, okay. If Has anybody ever seen somebody in a non-care, open container carrying place be drunk and reckless and do bad stuff? Yes. What? Yes. All the time, course. right? Yeah. It's like so, gun-free zones. Right. right yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. What, what are we talking about? Why would all the people who can handle their alcohol and walk around with a beverage, which is the best, most fun, walking around with your beverage, not driving, walking around, enjoying your beverage, seeing people drink, and if you see them with a beer in their hand and they're yep. wasted, everybody knows it then. The yep. clues, you have actual clues of don't let that person drive home. Yeah. Don't All that stuff. You know what I mean? Instead, we make them hide in a building Get yep. wasted and then sneak out and drive sneak their to car their home. Car, yeah, right. The fuck are we talking about here? What is wrong with people? You think that's a metaphor for all stuff being out in the open being better? Basically, it Be- feels that way. When I was in, uh, you know, middle school, high school, our, our teacher—I remember our, our, one of our teachers telling us about how bars were so bad, and she said they don't have windows in them because those people know they're sinners and they can't stand sunlight or anything, <sighs> and that's and they would never want anybody to be seen because of what the evil they're doing, and that's why bars, like, because bars were. Li- are like right. that. Yeah. I don't know exactly the reasons, but you know, it was it was like the bar in front of the bowling alley. Remember, right. it was just oh, yeah. it was like no 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 windows. windows. So yeah, there's a scary bar like that. Right. But that's what the way you think of alcohol, and then it's all got to be hidden, and then that increases the shame of the people that oh, I the, I got to go to the bar. I guess to you know, you have to go to that uh, place just to ha- to get a beer. I mean, I think there's probably a real stigma with that. With if you back out a little bit, think about sin. And then how you repent from it? You go quietly to a therapist or mm-hmm. a pastor. Yeah, you you it's kind of hidden, it's secluded. You go off to the place where other people can't see you or hear you, and that's how you repent from your sin. Mm-hmm. But it seems like biblically, what Jesus is talking about get get your buddies out there, and they can call you on your shit. Yeah, and then it's it's not as 
horrifically sinful and evil is just push you on a level playing field. Yeah. Uh, like the, the, when you when you make your sin so horrific that you have to go to a very private place yeah. with another with a professional mm-hmm. to help cure you, that's when it gets. That's when the sin's really bad. But it's everybody has sin. It's a, it's a condition, whatever you want to call it. Mistake prone, uh, evil, bad, whatever. We all got it inside of us. So why do we have to do this thing where we go hide? Same way with our alcohol. You are going to do something worse with it if you have to hide with it. Yeah, keep it more private and all that stuff. Yeah, I think that's true. It reminds me of a uh, uh, you. You know, it's bad because like you know, if you're sick, you want to run off. If you're nauseous or an animal that's sick or going to yeah. die or whatever, right. it has to go hide. You yeah. know, and it's just you know its own pain and its own thing eating it. You know, it tells uh-huh. it just go get out of here. And then so, even worse is the the power dynamic there of just when you have something bad with you, you have to go to this person or this place to get it fixed. As you know, I mean, I feel like that's what Martin Luther was against nailing the 99 or whatever on the door like you don't need to go to people you can go to god and god is with all of us and he's here you don't need to be in this room i mean that can be good i'm not shitting on all uh church you know pastoral meetings or therapy obviously no but i'm saying the idea that that's the only way or the best way as opposed to you know for example this band Helps me be way more open and honest about who I am as a person, a good, bad, all of it. Mm-hmm. Because we're all together, you see everything, and then it's not just Matt saying something to me. It might be Devin or Dave or Jot, whatever it might be. Like having that openness is really helpful. I don't know. Like that's why I think just I can't wait to drink on the street today. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you've heard me talk about my Quip toothbrush for quite a while now, and that is because I've had it for quite a while now and I use it every day and it is my favorite toothbrush I've ever used in my life. I like every aspect of it. I like the timer that buzzes and lets me know to change sides because I'm always when I brush my teeth, I'm a walker. I'm walking around my whole house. Just I do I can't stand brushing my teeth and looking at myself in the mirror. I don't know why. But I just love that it reminds me what to do. They send me my new uh, toothbrush head in the mail, and everything is just so easy. It's so refined. It's so good. And I love the toothbrush. Seriously, Quip makes just a phenomenal toothbrush. And uh, one of the things that's really important is that brushing for two minutes twice a day and flossing regularly, no matter what brand of toothbrush you use, uh, is good for you. But Quip makes it so simple. And it just starts with an electric toothbrush with refillable floss and anti-cavity toothpaste. Quip's electric brush has sensitive sonic vibrations, which I love, uh, with a built-in timer and thirty-second pul- at 30-second pulses to guide a full and even clean. The Quip floss dispenser comes with a pre-marked string to help you use just enough, which I always use way too much. My wife gets really mad at me about that, but not with Quip. Uh, solved one of our marital arguments with just the floss from Quip. Uh, plus, Quip delivers fresh brush heads, floss, and toothpaste refills to your door every three months with free shipping. So your routine is always right. Join over 3 million healthy mouths and get Quip today starting at $25. So uh, if you go to getquip.com slash badchristian right now, you'll get your first refill free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash badchristian. And that's spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash badchristian. Quip, the good habits company. Um, the territory is difficult because it feels like everything you do, it sounds like you're criticizing something. But yeah. I think people are starting to feel that more from our point of view that it's this the transparency thing is really about 
be it's almost feels like it's more just about being introspective is what people sometimes say in the BC club is yeah. what we are really doing and it's starting to make more sense to me that I'm just trying to it's kind of more like the know thyself quote you just got to know yourself better is yeah. kind of the thing and that's true about you and your own faith and your own religion and the things that you submit to or whatever you can know them better if you can just kind of do that, but talking about it's always treacherous because it feels like just to examine something, people feel threatened, yeah. basically. But and I want to examine my church experience I had last week. So can we well, do that? Well, that's what I was getting ready to say. You are kind of in the know now. Like I haven't been to church in a little while. Yeah. You are a regular church attender. Well, I'm doing <laughs> some examining of it. Yeah, and so they got I, you back. You got in your 40s, yep. and you're, you need the Lord the again. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. Back to church. <laughs> you got a family. Need the Lord again. Yeah. Got your family back in church. Oh, oh man, closer it, to God than you ever been. It's so much different than I ever thought. Like I, I would think if I was me now going to church now and I don't really ever really kind of want to go that much it's just my wife wants to go and we're supposed to go because the kids and I feel like that oh it's so classy it's, it's just like that's, that's just what I'm saying it's like I, my wife's dragging me to church is almost the situation and she's just there to put on airs and be seen I mean, it feels like all those things are right. uh, no I'm just saying that is that is what it is that's just what's happening that is, what is it the is, situation, right? and there's nice people, and yeah. we learn about God, and there's I mean there's there's Do all you the think stuff, that but everybody out there, everybody else at your church is in similar situations. I think everybody every church sick. is everywhere. They're just not really able to totally embrace all the reason. I, I just don't think people are able to embrace right. the all of the realities of what they're participating right. in. I'm not saying I don't have spiritual need sure. and biblical thirst or something right. like that. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say it Thirsty. that way right now, but that's going to that building for that thing is it's this whole part of the social fabric that I'm participating in. Right. And I understand that. And I need to know that that's what I'm doing in order to be comfortable with it. I, I went all in before. Right. I've, I've been out before and to, the only way I can do it is in a fully examined, self-aware way. Yeah, and I've yeah. not been the most self-aware person, and especially last year. No, man. Or five years or 40 <laughs> years. You, you know, I, I understand that. So I just right. now that I know that that's a thing that I can pay attention to, it's been interesting to do. But anyway, um, here's an observation that shouldn't sound too critical. If it does, I don't care. But this was I was feeling like the pastor. I'm looking at this from a just a slightly more zoomed out view. He, it feels to me this pastor is amazingly good at the. This is the kind of pastor who seems pretty progressive, um, in general, kind of. But yeah. it's but the, but I get this sense that he's extremely more progressive than his congregation is or knows he is. Does really? that make sense? I think so. so. I mean, it's not the the normal. Yeah. It's not the norm. Like he's toning it back some from what he actually thinks. Like yeah. he's giving them a little. He's not giving them the full. Way he's he, yeah. allowing. It feels to me like he is allowing them to believe in more magic than he does. Without he he does not want them to know that he doesn't hold this or that, but he allows them to to. It started to make feel like a magic show in a way. Right. Where they don't want the illusion spoiled, but I don't. I mean, I feel like he feels like I think the the pastor is like me. I think he thinks the same things and is low confidence on and doesn't hold to many many things. But he talks, in my opinion, down to their level, and I'm sitting on his. What I think yeah. I might get misinterpreting, of course, but sure. I do find that smart people are almost always talking down to who they're talking to right okay. so, I'm, so my big question immediately is we'll get to this in a minute upcoming uh, question i'm going to have is why would he do that it seems like the big question why why would this guy who's basically a god salesman 
Uh, well, showing, I, showing you who God is and all that stuff. Why would he hold it back? But the other thing I would say about that is um, when I hear that, I part of me thinks, how is he able to get there farther than everybody? And why aren't other people? And do they know it and just don't want it spoiled or something? It's something like that. But I, I but it feels to me, I think it's in the territory of he really pro. You can give all good motives for everybody in every scenario, and everything can still be fucked up. But I would say his motives probably are good and pure, and he wants people to be on a higher level and 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 increase. I mean, I think he's on the pure motive of trying to get people to get out of their own world and get outside of themselves and yeah. take care of the planet and take care of one another and improve right. society. And he has come up through Christianity, and that has been worked really well for him, but I think he's way beyond and outside of—I think he's very post-Christian in the way that I am. Right. I'm almost certain of it. But his congr- But he's speaking to them— the way that they want to hear it, but if they knew what he He's really to the crowd, and I can tell by his speech patterns because I just can tell. Like right. it's to me, I can tell. You know, I do a, a lot of speech analysis in the way that I do music theory analysis. Like when I hear right. stuff on the radio, I know what the chords are. And the, you know, I, I can. That's sure. I, I'm I'm similar when I'm listening to. I'm very calibrated to speech patterns and how people mean what they mean and why they choose. The words, I, you know, I have a pretty good grip on that and a lot of experience in the pastor realm as well. Yeah. So I feel pretty confident by his choice of language and what he holds and what he allows them and what he uses humorously. They're all big signals if I think I could make the argument. So I think he just is talking what I would say down to their level, which to me feels disrespectful because I could probably meet you on your level, dude. You, but you're not telling me. You're putting it in this some of these more magical Right things, right, and he, I think he's just doing it on purpose, and he's probably getting it right for his congregation. But I think that is that not dishonest, and it's helping them because okay. if he told them they would yeah. leave, and he's so going to, he is, thinks I'm yeah. going to get them there one or yeah. something. But that's, got, I mean, that's what's going on. So he maybe in his mind he justifies that as building a bridge because they couldn't go mm-hmm. there yet, and they yeah. would go somewhere else or leave. So part of it's job security, part of it is they aren't ready to hear that. There's another component here that I see happening with kids. And it's the... Santa, yes, like, it's that's the, what it feels like being treated like the a It's the Santa Claus lie. Though, yeah, it's that. Because kids want to believe in Santa Claus and they're so happy and there's so much hope and joy in Santa Claus, right? Until they get to the certain age where they realize, oh, wait, that was, wasn't true. And then if you notice the reaction of those, I'm, well, I'm experiencing this right now as our oldest is starting to change and realize this. She then looks down on other kids that, that still believe. Yeah, immediately. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, she's yeah. lost hope and joy. And she's jaded and right. looking she, to yeah, take out the joy of others real. immediately. Look at these dumbasses still believing. <laughs> right. look, look at that six-year-old thinks, oh, yeah, Santa Claus. Oh, yeah, he's going to bring you the presents. Mm-hmm. Like, but the six-year-old has joy and hope. And, Two weeks earlier. It yeah. Was, yeah. And, and my, you know, our 10-year-old is, is, is going away. And so maybe there's something there. Like, he's hold on to the hope as long as you can. I just Does receive it as, something? like, wait a minute. You're talking, you think, I mean, it, you know, it, it creates the thing where you go, oh, so he really does believe he's better than me then. Or, or I mean, he's talking yeah. to everybody. He's decided his love. You're teaching third grade. You teach a third grade level. Okay. Right. But, I mean. It, it does seem dangerous, and, and it, it is super disrespectful, and it, it sets up a, I mean, similar to the Santa Claus thing. Or it's the right Santa thing Claus to do. Thing, similar to the Santa Claus thing. I don't know if it's right. In, in, in retrospect now, I have real questions on, is it okay to have told our kids about Santa Claus? I was told, it's fine. I get it. Everything's fine with all of that stuff. But yeah. at the same time, would I be better off if I wouldn't have believed that? Is is that belief and hope and then told the truth 
trickled into my faith of, in God. Well, let's just separate that down to the what I'm saying about the magic show. So I'm I'm not trying to call preachers uh, liars or, or cheats, but a yeah. magician is not a cheater and a liar and a scammer, is he? If no. you go to see no a magi- magic show and you understand what the performance is, his job is to you know yeah. you're, you're participating too. So you know you're looking for mystical inspiration that yeah. you can maybe just barely taste in a way to have something. I mean, you're looking for the magic too. And if Matt Carter shows up at a magic show, like for instance, this is is basically my history as a little smart ass kid that would always get in trouble. Right. Nobody likes the kid yelling how the magic's done. No. And that right. that is kind of my that is kind of the where I always find myself to be. Like I'm like, but you this is what you care about. This is what you're into. This is what you say is the most important thing. I would love to talk about it. I know a lot about it. I've thought a lot about it. Shut up, you. <laughs> that's what it feels like. You're like, shut, get out of here. You're, right. gonna spo- you're spoiling it. You're going to ruin it. You're going to ruin it. You know, that's what, it, that's, Ooh. that's the feeling I am in have a but lot That of just plays right back into the club mentality, the, you know, the, the, the cultish link of, hey, there's this thing. We'll believe it no matter what. It, we don't. We don't even need the evidence. We just need you confidently telling mm-hmm. us about it. Mm-hmm. And the pastor knows that. That's what you're saying. Yeah. That the, he is reading. He knows. Just like you were trying to, or, or were reading him and his the way he was using language and and uh, how he's delivering information. He's reading the audience. Oh, this is what they want or need. Yeah. Or yeah. I know. But yeah. You know. And I think people would take it differently. But the point is. Nobody wants to analyze it on this axis that I'm saying right now. Right. Now, this is my church, and I suppose this is my preacher, and this is, you know, so I'm right. there. I'm just trying to say, what is this thing that I'm doing? And then to get this. So then for the child part, I go to pick up Georgia at the end of church. Yeah. And so I'm, you know, I've written it down in my note already magic show. I wrote magic show in my note in church. I was like, is this, you know, I was just trying to think of that concept because right, I was right, feeling right. that way. And um, so I go to pick Georgia up. And I, I promise, this is dead true. I walk into the room, and she's doing crafts in there. And I, I walk up there, and she has this this big stick and a big round pinwheel kind of thing on top of it. It kind of looks like a lollipop that yeah. they've made from crafts. But it doesn't, it's obviously not a sucker. It's got some tassels on it. It's more decorative than that. And I, I walk in, and I said, oh. I said, what would y'all, what'd y'all uh, I said, that's a, that's a, I don't remember what I, I walked up. I said, Georgia, that's an amazing magic wand. Because it's a, you know, yeah. because it, it wasn't a sucker. And I was like, so it's got to be a wand then. Imag- okay. And I said, George, that's an amazing magic wand. You know what the, the youth, got, the uh, oh teacher Lord. said? What? That's a praise baton. <laughs> <laughs> Corrected me on no, magic hold wand. Up, hold up, praise baton. It's a praise baton. Oh my. Because they wouldn't do right. magic. Yeah, because magic, uh-uh. Yeah. And I was like, oh, shit. Because I had, I had magic show written on my, which is why maybe I thought wand instead of lollipop, right. which I'd have, I said, you got a nice sucker you got there. But right. I was thinking magic. I said, magic wand. And it was no, no matter what, an employee Branded. of that place inter- intervened to me to make sure not to compare what they do to magic. Golly. Like it was right. Like not just had to correct not it. denied it, but right. had a whole thing in place to make sure that, you know, like, because it's obviously so close to magic. That's that's why you know what I mean. Like it's so yeah. close that you have to already be ahead of the it fact. It is that it could so be, close. It's what I'm saying. It is so close. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is. I mean, it, there there is a huge entertainment value. A show, lights, smoke, and everybody knows music, on both sides what you're doing. Speaker, so yeah. it's okay. Like right. I'm not 
you can accept i can accept that right who else can accept this part of this reality right you know that's that's <laughs> I, but I mean know. once again the thing that i'm that i think sometimes people when they listen to this podcast uh we've done a bad job maybe explaining this i don't really blame the pastor i, I blame all of us this is what we want yeah this is what i've always wanted i guess yeah I always wanted the pastor that was just kick ass make me feel good tell me what i i kind of want to hear and don't let me realize that's what i want to hear yeah and they met, presented in a way where I think, oh, he preached the word today. Boy, he came right. hard at us. Oh, wow. All right. And, yeah. and I leave wanting to repent. And what it affords is if you play the game right, whatever you're getting out of it on your end, that's just your business. Yeah. That's the sick part. That is, if Now, this guy I like, I think he's got good intentions, and he and I are probably on all the same mystical and spiritual wavelengths. Yeah. I get every sense of that. However, if any other intent, that's – Anybody that gets some other sick fulfillment out of yeah. a thing or has an agenda or is selfish or looking for whatever it is, also, that's just their business, I guess. If you don't have to be transparent about it and you're just doing it in a way, then it, you, then that's the, that doesn't make, you know, okay, there's, that's me, where let, the hiding let spot Let me do a little uh, imagining here or uh, creating a scenario. Lots of pastors really seem to always talk about being exhausted, overworked. Mm -hmm. high anxiety or fears, worries, uh, depression, all of that stuff. Do you think that the system has, well, we've talked about this a little bit off the podcast, and you've said this, you think that church might be for pastors. Like maybe there are people that actually need help, and oftentimes pastors, because of their skills, just get used by the church more mm -hmm. than like served in yeah, lots of ways. Yeah. But also, does that all that, Anxiety, fear, worry, pain, depression, um, not not really enjoying the that. Is that because the the job is titled pastor, which is speaker of the truth from God? And what you're saying is even your pastor go is speaker of the truth only so much. Hold all the rest right. of it in and don't tell them that. Yeah, and, and you and, just have and to that hold can it be in. for a good reason or bad. Yeah, it can be a good. But I mean, that, but of course, that causes anxiety what, and fear and depression and, yeah. and hardship. If yeah. you're like, wait a minute, I feel like this is what I think the truth is, and I'd love to tell all but these I people. To, I can't. Yeah, I'm, I might right. not even be allowed to. Yeah, and if it's for good or bad reason, but right. Yeah, I do think that is is a problem, I, and I do think it's reasonable to think of ministry people from volunteer. I mean, there's there's no it's it's no it's it, the thing I always like about Christianity is it is for like losers and 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 screw ups and people like me. That's yeah. just what it fit. That's why I always liked it. Yeah, because it's for the screwed up people like me. Yeah. That are like can't like you know you're playing the marching band. It, it's not the coolest, but man, right. you got that's you. You I can fit in there or something. People and then that's for every type of disability and everything. That's what the church is for. Right. But I do think there's a lot of people that would in order to try to help them and build them up and encourage them, they mix that message and then they become they think be the leader of this. Right. I think it is people that are to be cared for that get the thing a little bit flipped. The people that need help can confuse that to think they're the people that are help in order to, yeah. that's an easy mistake to make. And then if that gets supported by giant group or codependent yeah. group, that's, that's, you know, that's a real, and then everybody, everybody thing. gets stuck in the thing we've been saying for years now is elementary school. Even the pastor, he can't, he can't, he's not moving anybody up to middle school or high school or graduation. The it's just stay mm -hmm. where you're at. Repeat the message. Oh, it's Donald Trump style. Yeah. Huge. Great. Awesome. Going to be amazing. Phenomenal. And you just say that about our God over and over and over. Yeah, and it just gets everybody's head and they're fine with it. They just go, yeah. okay, yeah, that's fine. I just want, 
I just need to cheer me up at church. Yeah. And so best I can say on this is, of course, it sounds negative, but I'm just saying if you think everything I'm saying is, I mean, I mean just try to notice if you think there's an element of any of that in your situation. Just el- There's elements of that. It's not yeah. that it's all good or all bad or your church is good. I mean, that stuff's nonsense right. to say this pastor's good or bad or whatever, but those elements I'm pretty confident exist. Everything I've talked about exists on some scale, 0%, 1%, I mean, from 1% to 99%, and and the extreme is not the thing I'm talking about. Yeah. And so it, it would probably be worth everybody's while to try to notice and see what kind of things that you could identify like that and see if you can sit with them and handle them and not explain them away. Yeah. You know? And I won't make too much fun, but the praise baton thing, that's, <laughs> you got to admit, that's hilarious. It's, it's phenomenal that somebody came up with that, <laughs> that, that label. You know that that brand of that. Wait a minute, this is Christian. So what? This it's not a wand. It's because people were calling it a magic wand right. until somebody said, uh, "Until you know." Right. But like, that's the same reason why we have uh, worship music. Yeah, it's not music. Yeah. It's worship music. You Something have to do that so it signifies yeah. a difference. It is for this, and this is what it is. As if it's some some unique, amazing it, thing that's way. I different. think of it in the same category as freedom fries. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's that. just what it is. It's one hundred percent that. <laughs> I mean, it's just a branding and marketing to always point back to the thing that you're uh, point, point back to the agenda, I suppose. So, anyway, where's here on Bill Street? No, not, not Bill Street, Street, Bourbon Street. Well, maybe I've already had a hurricane or two. I don't know, but I'm going to go get a hurricane. We're at House of Blues. This is, you know what's funny is when we rolled into this town, if it looked like Pittsburgh to me. <laughs> <laughs> And then I was like, oh, yeah, I can kind of smell the ocean and stuff like that. But, I mean, it's just the old thing. I know once you go to some spots, it's not Pittsburgh. But I'm just saying, all these cities are starting to run together. <laughs> it's really, I'm getting too old for this. So, I mean, it's kind of insane. But we got a great guest today, um, which is, is kind of cool. One of our uh, old show friends, uh, Shane Claiborne, um, who was on the – man, he's been – it's been a long time since he's been on the podcast. Maybe we'll have him back soon. Um, but his buddy and our new friend, Rex Harson. uh, did a documentary based on uh, Shane's book called Beating Guns. And so we're going to do a really cool uh, little discussion here about weapons. Weapons of, I guess it's not, I guess is it still mass destruction? No, that's like nuclear, dude. But what kills more, what's killed more people, nuclear or guns in America? Well, let's uh, ask Rex. Let think about it. How, <laughs> how many? <laughs> yeah, Toby, he'll be on in just a second. But before that, we have one of our favorite sponsors, longtime friends, Tooth and Nail, great collaborators, wonderful people, and they put out amazing bands. They've still got the knack for finding talent and putting it out there. So right now, the song you're hearing playing, is, you're listening to a song called Night Guest. It's a single from the new best Tooth and Nail band that you've never listened to yet, but here you are now. This band is called We Are The City. We've done tour dates with them. They're terrific. Uh, their new record is called R.I.P., and it's the best work they've ever done. This is their first this is their fourth full-length album with Tooth and & Nail, and it comes out on January 24th. We Are the City is from Vancouver, British Columbia, and though they hadn't toured the U.S. a ton, you might have seen them on a couple of years back. You might have seen them a couple of years back with Copeland. They've got some of the most interesting and compelling music of any band on Tooth & Nail, so go check this out. You can follow the band's pages on Spotify and Apple Music, so you can get alerts when they put out more music. This album, R.I.P., is out this Friday, January 24th, so go check out these singles from that album that have already been released once again. We are the city. 
Rex, thank you for joining the show. Uh, so you are the director of the Beating Guns documentary, and that was based, that's Shane Claiborne and Mike Martin's book. Am I saying that all correctly? Yes, perfect. Excellent. So we have, we've had Shane on the show before. We know, I think of Shane as a, uh, he's fun. One of our, my, my favorite episode we've ever done, actually, is of this podcast, it was Shane Claiborne was on, and uh, Toby... Toby really made him get uncomfortable with a, a funny news story. If it, I don't know what episode that is. If somebody looks it up, no. they should link it. But the Shane Shane Claiborne, first of all, is one of the most sincere, genuine people that claims Christ that I've ever encountered or run into, which is part of what made the episode so funny is because it was so sincere and then it went in such a funny place. Yeah. <laughs> but um uh and so you've gotten to know him. Did you know him before? And and does that is that how you receive Shane also? Yeah. Um, so I met Shane, I was doing a, um, it was called a, uh, confessions of a Christian nation video series. And, uh, I was down in Montgomery with, um, Brian McLaren, uh, filming and, um, Shane came up and, uh, he introduced himself and apparently he just knew of me just cause of like, I'd been filming with a couple of his friends doing that project. And, uh, he just introduced himself and, um, he basically explained why he didn't want to do that particular project with me because I'd reached out to him about it. And he was like, hey, this is why I'd, I don't want to do that. But then he was like, maybe in the future we can work on some stuff. So um, we uh, we sat together and we prayed together and um, we did a couple of death penalty things together. And then uh, when this opportunity, you know, he started writing this book, I was like, I just called him up and I was like, hey, man, what if I make a documentary to go alongside it? And I uh, just went from there. But yeah, we were we were friends pre beating guns for probably friends for about a year, I'd say. 
That's cool. Oh, Reva's got it here. Um, uh, number 109 is our episode with Shane Claiborne. So, man, that's a long time ago. But uh, what is it like taking a book and make it to a documentary? I'm working on a documentary right now. So just the idea of what is a documentary is huge on my mind. So what is the process of taking something like a book and adapting it to a documentary? I think it depends on the book that you're wanting to, to, wanting to run with. Um, I did not even read the book before I made the documentary. Um, I was probably... 90% done with filming before they even got the book done. So it was more of like, we were just trying to keep in the same spirit of things with each other. You know, I obviously know where Shane stands on guns. Um, and truthfully, I think my own thinking developed over the two years of making the film, like what my view actually on guns was um, mm-hmm. in regards to like how it pertains to me as a Christian and, and to my own faith. So um, I really just, uh, I said, Hey, let's do this. And I just jumped in having no idea where I was going. So Uh I just like, I I hopped in. I think the first interview I did was with Tony Jones. Um, and then I just started calling people like from the connections that I've made from the past through like Greg Boyd and Bruxy and some of these guys and, um, just kept going and going and going. And just basically then I got it all into the editing room and I was like, okay, now what am I going to do with this? Um, cause about halfway through the film, I realized like, I don't even have a narrative. You know, it's like I have all these amazing interviews, but if you're going to make a film work, you have to have a narrative. It's not the same as a book, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, thankfully, um, an event in Philadelphia, um, it was like a one day event that I could go up and film in one day and it would serve as the narrative. So if you watch the film, like there's interviews with people from all over the country throughout it. But the narrative consists of waking up with Shane in Philadelphia at like 6.30 a.m. or something. And I think I got there at like 2 a.m. the night before. Like I flew in, we sl- I slept for a couple hours, and then me and Shane were up at like 6. You know, and it starts with him like out there just like feeding his chickens, you know? Yeah. And then you, you track their story throughout the day, which is like a one-day protest where they melt a gun down, they have a big rally, they march to a senator's office, and they give a melted-down AR-15 to, uh, they, they attempt to give it to the Senator and they all end up being arrested. So it sort of starts with Shane and his chickens and it ends with Shane being arrested. And then in between we have all these interviews with, you know, like just all these amazing people, you know? And, but yeah, I didn't know what, I didn't know what the hell I was doing when I first started. I just kind of just, I just jumped in. So let me see if I can say that back in the way that I understand it. And I'm, I'm asking you this purely because I, I, fascinated in the form and 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 it so it's like you have a, the narrative or the spine of the documentary is that day and the events of that day so that's the action and then yep. you use the breast of the book and the interviews captured with the stats and topics and speakers that was similar or in line or contributed to the book to support the points of the story and that you cut to the interviews that gets the information across through through a human or talking head or something like that yeah, except I used interviews and stuff that Shane and Mike never even touched. So uh-huh. it was it was essentially like they went and did their own thing. I went and did my own thing. And then we kind of, you know, I mean, Shane and Mike are really what hold it together. And they're really the only connection in a sense of the book. But the spirit of it was the same. Like, I didn't see any point in making a movie version of the book. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like the book's already written. So why don't we create essentially like a companion piece that adds to it and just gives like some other layers. So there's people like Greg Boyd and John Perkins and uh, um, uh, Michael McBride who are like in the movie that like probably aren't even mentioned in the book, 
but they're talking about it all contributes to sort of the same message in the same spirit. Does that make sense? Is that not taking their book and then you get to put your spin on it? Or how, how does it not just like, like you said, you didn't have that many thoughts on guns until you started the project. So how does not the director of the movie then, uh, you know what I mean? How does that get lined up with them without getting off from their views? Like, it sounds like as the director, your views must be paramount in what comes across in the movie, right? Yeah. Well, I think that's what was kind of interesting about it. It was a bit of an odyssey. It was mm-hmm. a journey for me and like, and, and, and understanding what my, because I'd already reached to a place where I was like pretty much 99% nonviolent, you know? Mm-hmm. But when it comes to actual guns and like, how that like plays out. Um, that was what I got to develop over time. And to, and to be truthful, like, I don't even know if like at the end of it, like, it's not like I came to one solid, perfect conclusion about it because it's not like the death penalty where like with the death penalty, I'm like, I have a hard view of it. Like I, I'm yeah. anti death penalty, but I, yeah. but even after all of this, I'm still not, I wouldn't even say I'm anti gun. You know what I'm uh-huh. saying? It's like, it's more like the whole film is set up to instead of just be like, hey, I'm going to hammer you over the head and tell you what to think. The film, what I set out to do is like to give people a lot of stuff to think about and then let people walk away with that stuff and come to their own conclusions. Like I wasn't trying to like be like, believe this, you know? And I would say that Mm -hmm. the book, I don't know if you guys have read the book and the book is excellent, but the book is much more direct. The book much more lays out like a, hey, here's a point of view that you could have. But the film is more of like a challenge to why don't you take all this stuff I'm going to give you, walk away, think about it, and come to your own conclusions. And how would you sum up the central claim then of the documentary? Uh, And I I wouldn't put words in your mouth, but can you sum it up in a claim about how a, a general maxim or principle about how Christians should interface with guns or gun violence? Yeah, I would say that... um I would say that if I wanted people to walk away with anything specific, it would be that when you're forming your thinking on guns, like you have to keep Jesus Christ at the, at the, like as your center and as your central point And that is influencing everything that you think and everything that you um, believe about guns. Like it's a book about guns, but really, or a movie about guns, but really what it is is a movie about Jesus. Like, the whole time, like, that's what I'm wanting to talk about. And, um, and, and I think that that comes through, like, there's a lot of people that like, just, it's more about coming back to Christ. Mm -hmm. At least that's what I'm aiming for. I don't know if that's what people are going to get or not, you know? Um, and to be fair, like I gave pro gun people like a voice in the film, obviously it's not the dominant voice. Um, but I mean, like there's a cut out room people who are pro-gun in different ways to like speak into the film you know yeah it's one of the craziest issues of our time i think so it's like how does that is it is it is it uh hard or scary or cause you know do you see it as a difficult topic in a way that requires extra care or is more necessary to speak on like don't we all agree it's one of the hardest issues to discuss with people or no yeah hands down i mean like my like I've, I've in a way been alienated from pretty much like 95% of my family just because (laughs) I've become so vocal on it, you know? And it doesn't matter how much you say, look, I don't want to take away your guns. I'm not anti-gun, but like what I think needs to be challenged is this idea of like, let's solve our problems by blowing people away. 
Yes. I, I think we have to get out of the dirty, hairy thinking of like, yeah, we're just gonna like, like if I, you know, if I see that dude and he's doing something bad, I'm just gonna shoot him. Like, for, I mean, it doesn't solve anything. It's not Christ-like, but it's like we've allowed this idea to sort of take root in the church, and it's just like, yeah, pack your guns and bring them to bring your guns to church. You know, it's like every Sunday, like just. It's like the problem is that like that's your first response. That like if your first response is I'm gonna like we're gonna, you know, just pack your guns instead of looking at all these other ways that could be peaceful, that could be nonviolent, that could be actually um, bringing about a solution where people can bring about life. You know, people's first reaction is no, just pack your guns, and if somebody comes in, you shoot them. Um, yeah, it's a problem in Christianity. I mean, the biggest problem I think in Christianity—that's the area I know—and then you can expand that to the world because it's probably true. But it's the fear kind of stuff, like the fear tactics that politicians do, and you know, church is pretty bad about it. Where it's like you—you're afraid of hell, and now that's going to guide your conduct. And with guns, we're afraid uh, the Second Amendment and uh, NRA so tightly intertwined with religiousness and conservatism takes you immediately to the place of they're coming for our guns. That's yeah. unnecessary. Fe- I mean, that's a very extreme type of fear for an issue that's very real and could be reasonable. Like, well, well, we don't have to start it, with that. It's intrinsically tied to freedom is, the, is right. the real issue. When you talk about gun stuff, the the people that are pro-gun or uh, often on the right uh, would say you, you're taking away – the, a serious freedom that our forefathers gave me. And that's, that's what you're challenging. Even with your movie, like you said, it sounds like, and uh, I mean, I want you to, so when you started the film before you even got started, you were m- more indifferent. Like you, it was like, obviously maybe you weren't pro gun, you were pro peace or like, like you said, mm-hmm. but you, you didn't really care about the issue as much about specifically guns. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I, it wasn't like on my radar as like, this is one of my things, right. you know? I, th- I think I saw it as a chance to explore it, um, but it really wasn't because, like, I don't own guns. Um, I don't want to own a gun, and I have, like, specific reasons for that because I have people in my life, like, close people who've been shot. They're like, I just, I don't want a gun. They make me nervous. Mm-hmm. I have kids in my house. I don't want one. Um, so, like, it just wasn't really an issue. And and the thing is, I guess I'm just dumb. Like, I'm, I'm <laughs> completely honest, but I didn't understand People felt so strongly about it, like yeah. where it was like weird. Like if you even touch this topic, like we're going to come after you, and we're going to we're going to label you, and we're going to try to make you feel dumb and try to make you feel stupid, like all this kind of stuff. And then you're all of a sudden you're trying to take away people's freedom, like and and honestly, that is what made me feel stronger about it, not the yeah. actual gun itself, the fact that it had such a hold on this entire like group of people that they're like. I mean, they, that it's basically an idol to a lot of people, you no know, doubt. I no, mean, it's that's like, a good word. don't touch my guns. It's like, you can't even get to a place where you can have a conversation because like their, their amygdalas are just firing and yes. the reasoning shuts down. Well, it's been, so they've it's been, like, they've been capitalized and trained to do that by people, by types of organizations and institutions that like to drive that behavior and they want that. To, to be that way, the, the NRA and stuff. It, as far as I understand it, most Americans believe most, as in 
majority, and mm-hmm. I don't know if this is covering the film, and you may know more about it than me, but it seems that most people are for more gun control and common sense violence, but the extremes keep us from having the discussion to move forward in any of that. That's the best way I understand it. When I think about it is, wouldn't we like to maybe move it into the territory of a driver's license at minimum? Like, yeah. like at least you need, you know, things that kill 40,000 people a year maybe require some training or license. Yeah. Almost everybody would agree with that, except for we don't give an inch because we know where this is headed. They're coming for our gun. Like that's the reason we can't get to that conversation is because we're yeah. entrenched in a battle that seems like the rest of issues are going to be polarized to this degree too, which is why this matters to me. So like I'm less yeah. concerned with guns and more about this type of behavior where you push people to the extremes, thus eliminating reasonable and nuanced conversation. Yeah, yeah, they paralyze it. And that's mm-hmm. what fear does. Fear right. paralyzes you. So they bring in the fear factor like immediately and it paralyzes any, any conversation. Yes. <laughs> so we can't, we can't get anywhere, you know? Well, let's try though. Why don't we try? We've already said, we've already said what the pitfalls are. And that sounds okay. to me like the three people here are reasonable, right? <laughs> are, are you extreme? No. You're not an extremist? Uh, depends on what we're talking okay, about. Okay, well, we'll see. We'll see. Toby, how about you? Are you an extremist when it comes to guns? And if so, which side? No, I'm not an extremist. I'm, I'm oh, you're bit, reasonable. Okay. I, well, I'm not reasonable. I, I, I was even going <laughs> to, I even wanted to kind of play the other side. Like, I wanted to play like uh, my dad, who's a, you know, has a concealed weapons carrier. Okay, right? you, you, I, I'm, I'm kind of, my dad does okay. too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Matt, you just touched on this, and, and uh, I think it's true, but I, okay, I, I will say this. I think gun owners in general get a way worse rap than people that are uh, n- against more regu- gun regulation. Like if you if you own a gun, it it is like personally against you. Like my dad feels that way. He feels like yeah. I, I did the I, I got the license. I ha- I haven't done anything mm-hmm. illegal. I I did everything right, and you're telling me that somebody committed a crime and, and I have to pay a price. Like like you and I. I, I don't lose any freedom not having a gun right now in, the, in my daily life because I just don't even think about it. I, I have three kids too. I don't, you know, I don't want any guns in my house. I've went, I've gone to a gun range with a friend before and it kind of freaked me out. I just didn't like that power. I feel too stupid to hold a gun. <laughs> like I'm going to make a bad mistake or something. You know, I don't want to be on a, on a video where I blow the hole through the roof or something like that. But I can understand my dad. He says, Matt, I wanted to make this point. You said the everybody like the NRA and and everybody has these uh, points and they want you to feel a certain way. What I have noticed is on each side, they, they, everybody repeats the same talking points. Like it, right. it's the same way as, you know, right. when you think like the the Republicans, when they think about Trump, uh, it's the wall or so, you know, like repeat, repeat right. this mantra or something like that. Like I've heard like, you know, not just my dad, other family members, friends, say the line like you know yeah you can come get my you can come try and take my gun like and i've heard that on news outlets and media and stuff like that and then on the other side i hear the same thing like even i I just clicked on the uh shane site or y'all site for the book and stuff like that and there's just some some quotes there like uh guns is a pro-life issue and like that and it and i go yeah i understand that but it's still just like a talking point in a way where i want to be like yeah but i mean it's also i understand the freedom side of it like yeah there's a real side there so my dad, if he sees your movie, it's almost impossible for him to say, you're being fair to me. Because if you knew me, then you would understand I'm really careful and done everything right. So why do you want to take my gun? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so what do you yeah. say to him? Like, why do you want to take his gun when he has literally done nothing wrong? There's not been one time where he did any crime or he's a Christian. He, too, he's right? Christian mm-hmm. and he is totally fine with you not wanting a gun. Totally fine with you getting a license to drive a car that kills more people. You know, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like he's, he's okay with that stuff. How do you like with your transition? Like you obviously care more about it. What do you tell somebody like that? Even your own family, you go through, you go through this personally. It seems like. Yeah, well, if they were watching the film, I'd say, wait till about 20 minutes in because <laughs> you're going to have Lucy McBath, who is, um, she's a she's a Georgia uh, congresswoman now. Um, she lost her son to gun violence. They, they've already made two documentaries about her, but she was in our film. I mean, and, you know, and she comes out and she says, she's like, we are not trying to take people's guns away. We are not, this is, we're not trying to step on your freedom we're not trying to, it's okay to be a gun enthusiast. It is okay to be a gun owner. We're just saying that like there need to be some further restrictions. And the thing is yes. for me is like people like my dad, you know, your dad, like people who want guns, I think all I would ask is like, just be willing to go through a few more hurdles to get them. You know? Yeah, but they, they've, they've been successfully uh, conditioned to the talking point. And it does come from yeah. large institutions politicians and I think primarily the NRA it's a it's a slippery slope argument made starting from the end point it's like saying well we can't allow gay marriage because then we all have to be swingers and polyamory it will be the new law of the land or something that's not yeah that's not true you can just let these people do that it's the same kind of thing so to say anything about guns means yeah you say that now but as soon as you give them this then they're coming for this then they come this and eventually we don't have freedom anymore but that's kind of absurd because most of us think we could do some nuanced things and i think it's very clear that we simply have too many guns in the united states that's the easiest metric to look at we have the most guns we have the most gun violence that's pretty clear we'd all like it to be less in fact i don't even think anybody wishes there were it's almost probably unanimous that people think it'd be better if there were less guns the issue mm-hmm. then being we just it splits there into well the bad guys are the people we want not to have guns not the good guys yeah i'm gonna be honest i don't know how to make any progress when you can't even get people on either side to give a little you know like i'm not even necessarily like it it really hurts the cause to me when you have somebody like uh beto o'rourke like stand up and say like we're gonna take your ar-15s it's like i get what he's trying to do like he's trying to be like sensational and be like extreme he's playing off that sort of trump that same thing that trump does which is just like saying these extreme things but it's like he hurts the conversation just like he hurt the that that sounds like a pro-trump message to me is get democrats to say that that's trump election city that's here we go that is how trump gets elected is him doing that kind of crap i 100 percent think yeah because then then all that gets lumped into they, whichever yeah. side you're on. That's right. Now, now you're part of the they, and they want to take your guns. And it's like, like we have to. The first thing that we have to do is get out from the us versus them thinking, and yeah. just realize we are all here together. And there's right in the middle of the film, and I did this very much on purpose. I took Brian McLaren, who of course is very liberal, and I took an old, like eighty year old. Uh, Marine, like former Marine who was literally <laughs> carrying like during the interview and I sat him down and like I, they had a, an hour long conversation in Nashville and it was the most beautiful, it was probably the most beautiful thing I filmed, oh, you know, awesome. and we could only use a part of it obviously, 
but it's like they just talked and it was two reasonable people on very ex- different issues just talking about it you and should release the whole the room, audio it's a podcast you can do that just put it yeah. up at, like take that whole conversation because i'm sure people would like to hear the whole beautiful conversation you could put it up on that beaten guns documentary website Straight i was thinking about putting it on uh on youtube like just yeah, putting great. the full thing on youtube yeah, please do that that'd be it's great beautiful um but like that's what we have to get to but it, man, I tell you, like you just can't get there when people, you can't even have conversations with them, you know? And social media makes it even worse because like you start something on Facebook and then before you can even like respond, somebody else has come in and been like, said something extreme, you know? It's like, you just, we got to get away from the strings and the streams and come towards the middle. Because the truth is like 99% of gun owners want a safer world. They want 999 want a safer world they don't want right. school shootings they don't want right. these things right and when they get labeled like what your dad i totally get what your dad's saying it's like when you get labeled that it's like well screw you you know like like i don't like this isn't like like don't label me that because that's right. not who i am and they right. see it as like if i have a gun i can protect somebody you know yes um, and they're either right or wrong like i mean there's of course you could get into the stats or something but even those don't tell the, all the, the right stories but people believe everybody wants to be safer and some people believe this is a way to be safer and some people believe that's a way to be safer and somebody's right and somebody's wrong or to some degree and maybe we don't know the answer but that ain't fun to admit yeah um yeah i was gonna say rex uh because you made this point earlier that it's kind of kind of a christian movie even more than guns which mm-hmm. is the part of this whole uh the whole issue or this whole situation we're in where culture is Another aspect of somebody like my dad um, is that he he isn't a lawbreaker at all. I mean, he's, he's really an honest guy. He has a lot of mistakes. He has a ton, shitload of mistakes. So do we all. But I'm just saying, he, he is he's pretty honest. He's not really he's not going to lie or anything like that. And he's a Christian. And so uh, I say all that to, to mean he feels this is just another. I, I believe the story there is it's another attack in a way for him. Who grew up in a certain, you know, he was born in 1952. He's mm-hmm. seen so much change. The world has changed unbelievable for him. I mean, it is, it, 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 I, the world does not even look near the same as when he was my age, even, you know, and that, that that's when he's 43, you know, you know, 20 yeah. or 30 years later, even just the half of his life has changed his whole life, unbelievable amounts of change. So he's not only saying, uh, this gun thing is that, wait, I'm a Christian. And you want me to change my mind about sexuality, gender, mm-hmm. and you're gonna take my gun that I didn't do anything <laughs> bad with? Like, like, right. did you see anything like that? Like, it, like when you say it's a Christian issue, I, I so agree because if you think about Jesus and gun usage, come on, it's, it's real simple and clear there. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, like, like it, you just no no picture in your mind ever would be Jesus carrying any weapon much right. less uh, a concealed weapon, like a, a pistol or something on his side when he was going to another you know, city or something like another town where he wasn't welcomed. He just, you know, okay, I'll shake off my shoes or whatever and leave or something. Mm-hmm. But did you see that? Like, did you get that feeling like it was bigger than, like you said, it's a Christian movie. It, for Christians specifically, is it more than just the guns? Like, w- w- is it that they're scared they're losing even their, their whole faith? Oh, man. I don't. That's a big question. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know about like in the making of the film, but I can tell you what I see in general is that, like, I have trouble feeling like people think independently. 
if you fall, if you just fall down the party lines. Correct. Yeah. You know what I'm exactly. saying? I'm like, how do you just happen to have this view about guns? And then happen to, that happens to be the left view. And you just happen to have the same view of sexuality and of immigration and all this stuff. Like there's something right. there that is like, I don't, I haven't put all the pieces together, but it's something about group think that like you just get in your group and you just, settle down and like that's just how you think you know and i'm sure there's like some psychologist has written a book about it but like because i'm i'm not that way like i don't like i have very i have varying views on everything you know like i don't have i'm not really right or left on everything so um i do think that like you huddle down in your group and it's probably just that primal nature of like that we've inherited of like you know it's like survival of your group right so like yeah. Like when you're throwing the rocks on the guns, you know, you're basically, it's just like the left throwing the right. Um, and, and that's an attack. And then they start over here on the sexuality and they're still throwing rocks. It's something about that group survival and that, that way of thinking that people just, I don't know. I don't feel like I'm answering your question, but like, I think it's because like, I don't, it just boggles my mind that we can't think independently on different things. Toby, is your question get at the, the issue that, <clears throat> Basically, from their experience, things like freedom, guns, and church is intertwined. So even if logically you could show them how to remove one, that's terrifying. Is yeah, that it, basically what you're just like, wait a minute, but these are yeah. all these are three things that I care about. Mm. And so if you take one away, even if it is logical, I'm happy to have cognitive dissonance because I need to keep my, my shit intact here. Like I can't have everything falling apart. Right. At the same time, because they yeah, are intertwined. Yeah. And it plays into that. That's what I'm saying. Like, um, I think all of these things represent your something personal that you are scared you're going to lose in general. Mm. Like, like it, it, it's a stepping stone. And they, that, like you said, I think you said that earlier, Matt, like this, if you take this, then you have to give up a little bit more ground here and a little bit more ground here. And it, there's a weird, I, I, I don't even know how those two work together in the context of Jesus and like stand your ground or defend yourself or, you know, or, or whatever those mm-hmm. things are like, like in, in every other way, you should be more gracious, more forgiving, uh, uh, quick to listen, slow to anger and all those ways. And we've been tricked that like my dad thinks you probably have to be faster to anger and faster and more decisive and harder. No, you're not going to take my gun from my dead, cold hands, or you can probably from my dead, cold hands or something like that. Because if I don't do that, I'm not defending my God. Even you're gonna take, you're gonna try and take him too out of my out of the schools, and we're gonna have mm-hmm. to have gay marriage in the church, and we're gonna, to, you yeah. know, like all those things that, like, I think the parties do a really good job of making it seem that way. Like he he would follow party line. Like uh, we had a at least it was kind of at least a, a decent conversation about Trump, where he had to say, "Listen, I don't like this guy." I don't wish he, I wish he wasn't our president. I wish we had somebody better, but there's no way I could ever vote for Hillary and what will happen if she became president. Like he's really scared. Like he's scared of it. You know, like, like same way he was scared of Obama, <laughs> but nothing really bad happened. You know, there's nothing like there's all these fears that are promoted on each side, you know, it, on both sides. If you keep guns, it, you know, no matter what, people are going to die more and more. And if you if you take away guns, then you're going to lose your freedom. The government's going to kill you. You know, all those things. I think the 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 big thing that I'm seeing here is like, and maybe you can even explain this. That's what I was trying to get at through the movie. When people are pro gun or uh, pro more regulation, are they simply talking about the gun issue, or is it their experience and their history? 
Have y'all, um, have you heard of Jonathan Haidt? He wrote a book yes. called uh, The Righteous Mind. Yeah, I've read that. I love it. Yeah, I think that explained it more f- like for me than anything. It's just like, however your wiring happens to be, you just tend to fall more in line like on these like issues, either on the conservative spectrum or on the liberal you know side mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, I think that, I think you're, I mean, I know you're asking me a question, but I mean, I think you're just right. Like, I think what you said is spot on from what I've seen is it's like, it's not giving up an issue. They feel like they're giving up a entire way of life, yes. you know, and they're trying to conserve that way of life <laughs> rather than progress to something different. Like it yes. really, it comes down to like a fear of change. Yeah. Like I don't yes. like, we're, we're to a point you're never going to get all the guns in this country ever. Like, like it would, you, we have more guns than we have people in this country. Like the effort to get yeah. the guns is like insane. Right. Like, so like for me, it's like, I mean, I know policy is important and Shane comes way down more on policy than like I do. But I, for me, it's a matter of the heart. And for me, like I believe as a Christian, I should want to turn my gun into a garden tool, which is sort of the motif of the entire film. Yeah. Because I should want to be someone who is attempting to bring more life into the world rather than death. Mm-hmm. Um, so like that, cause like, you're right. Like when it comes to Jesus, like you can't, I don't, you can't make a just argument for like the killing of any human being really, you know I mean? Like you just, it, to me, I don't think it's there. Yeah. And I know people try to use the like, sell your cloak and buy your sword thing, you know, or whatever. Right, right. And I don't know if y'all have seen the film, but like there's a whole thing in there where, I've got two pastors explaining that passage completely differently. It's, awesome. it's, it's generally people's favorite part of the film, but um, like they're just going back and forth and um, it's Greg Boyd doing it, you know and I mean? He gives a perfect explanation, but, but yeah. So like um, you, to me, like Christ gave us something different. He gave us something above and better than all the politics. It's a whole third way. I think if when you talk about Jonathan Haidt's book like that, and I'll take this in a slightly different direction here, but that book is really big on, I think what you're describing there is what he would call or people call uh moral intuitions. They're deep mm-hmm. moral intuitions that people have. And that now and and so you basically start with default sets of how conservative you are as a matter of wiring, basically. Yeah. And it like just like people say, how where are you on openness? Or these it's a set of qualities that you have. And so naturally, you gravitate toward the people that have similar ones. And then, of course, you can't make every decision with full data on everything. So you must default to those around you. It's the only way that we know how to behave. And then even after you do that, then a lot of what the book is about is how you tell yourself that you made the decision in the first place when it really, you just explained it post, you just rationalized to yourself how you wound up here, but it did come from something very deep in your identity. And when we talk about guns, in my opinion, this might be, unique or start to cut against other people's opinions here. I kind of hold the opinion more of guns are not really an issue. They're just a proxy for our identity issues because now Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about mass shootings and race and gangs and white people and politicians and right and left and church and Jesus, you know, these are the, and abortion, like these are the things everybody wants to talk about and we're going to use guns as a proxy. But to me, the gun issue is not much. It's kind of a, if you just do common sense, fine. And then I actually think beyond that, we'll just have drones soon that make 
the gun issue silly. I don't, I don't even think the gun issue yeah. is a huge one in a way, but could yeah. you push back against that? Am I missing something when I say, uh, I think guns are almost a red herring here of a, of a topic. I can't because like, even in making this film, it was just like the guns, there's, it's just a tool to get mm-hmm. to a deeper issue, which is like, what, what is the content of our heart? Do we want life? And do we want to be people who bring about more life? and who bring about like a Christ way of doing things? Or do we want to be people who just solve things with by blowing people away? Um, have y'all seen Joker yet? Not no. yet. Oh man, I wish I could. So there's this, <laughs> there's this, there's this point in the movie, right? And it's, oh, it's hard to set up if you haven't seen it. But it's basically like the Joker before he's Joker, he confronts Thomas Wayne in this bathroom. And he's like, and he's thinking that he's, um, well, Never mind. Anyway, like, <laughs> no, most people I, have seen it. Go for I, it. Go for okay, it. Okay, okay. I didn't want to ruin it for y'all. Okay, no, so he thinks it. Thomas Everybody Wayne's his father, right? So Thomas Wayne has already been set up as like, you know, I mean, it's Batman's dad, right? And like, there's this moment where Thomas Wayne has the opportunity to completely um, change the trajectory of this guy's life. Like if he had responded a different way, the Joker essentially would not have become the Joker. Because he was just looking for something. And granted, mm-hmm. at that point, Joker was kind of a threat to him. But like, so what does Thomas Wayne do? Because he has the, the chance to like embrace and practice grace. But instead, he just punches him in the face. Right? And that seals it, yeah. Yeah, and it's like when, when that's how, if we choose to solve things in that manner, then we're just going to continue the cycle of violence. Like there's none. So we have to take that Christ ethic of like, like choosing to practice grace in those situations, if we really want to change the trajectory, Mm -hmm. because like I said, we're never going to get 300 million guns off the streets, but we can begin to change our hearts that will begin to influence the way that we interact with our neighbors and such, and hopefully create a better society that way. Yeah, you're Um, right. I think, I think too, the, the, the party lines and the, and the drawing your line in the sand is what really hurts the issue because like, for example, somebody like my dad or family members, we're not, offering them anything too, like it just feels like a takeaway to them you know like there's nothing like wait a minute you're going to be able to share the gospel in a better way or you're going to be more like jesus and other things we're able to do that sometimes in this instance we're not able to and so if they, they kind of almost feel like yeah they're they're only losing something like there isn't something to gain which is what which is the only way to actually really change people wait a minute I'm I'm giving of myself because I get more in a way, like I get to give more or be more Christ-like or something like that. But it just feels that way that everything is being taken advantage of, and it, it I would even say too, like that's what I'm saying. Like it feels like, like a bigger issue, like y'all are saying that it's like it's our Christianity and it's even maybe nationalism. Like it's that American dream of wait a minute, I'm supposed to pull myself up by my bootstraps, get my own house, get my own car get my vacation, retirement, and yeah, heck yeah, I'm having a gun. You know what I mean? My granddad had a gun. His granddad before him had a gun. It passed, it's sitting in my living room in there in the case, you know, know, all this Mm -hmm. stuff. That's identity, Yes, right? That's who you are that's threatened. That's what all this is. And it's really hard to get rid of that. It's not your preference or your hobby that, this isn't about hunting or something. This is not what we're talking about. It's fine to hunt and have guns and stuff. I, I love it, like... I aspire to own guns and hunt in the future. That's something I want to do. I, I don't want any guns right now. It's impractical. But in no in no case is my identity tied up in guns. But I can understand how it would be if your grandpappy gave you this shotgun and yeah. it matters and he did this and he taught. I mean, 
I get that. But really, it's the it's the these identity issues. I think that that and the scary stuff that that people use guns as a you know a way to hammer other people or control I, I don't really know i'm not really sure what's going on but is the in the movie is there pol- like you said shane's bigger on policy but could you give people is there takeaway or action or policy or reasonable things that we would like to see or you could i mean we've been essentially very vague in this interview to for the most part but could we be more specific about what should happen or could happen um shane and mike lay out a ton of great stuff in the book um I'm really not, I'm just going to, I really don't, I mean, it sounds kind of dumb having just made like a documentary on it, but it's like, I don't know about on the policy side. I don't know what would work. Um, I know that like me, like my goal and sort of my personality is to challenge others. And I just try to challenge people on what it, what it means to follow Christ in a gun culture. Cause that's what we have. We live in a gun culture. I mean, me, I don't know. What is in, gun, can you define gun culture? I th- like what you guys are talking about, where it's part of your identity. You mm-hmm. grow up with guns. You know, yeah. it's just like part of like, it's just part of the ethos. I mean, I'm, I'm the only male in my family who doesn't own a gun. I'm the only one who doesn't own multiple guns. I'm the only person in my family. And of course, I live in Mississippi. So like, I know that might be a little different. <laughs> so but, you're the, actually um, the only person in the whole state. <laughs> probably, yeah. yeah right. I mean, I mean our, our senator's... Uh, caps are literally it's like it says god and guns like that's what's on his website when you go you know and and he worked in the office like with my mom growing up like i mean like it's just all this i mean i'm so surrounded with it yeah the only thing i would say is because i do believe it's the identity thing um but there's something that doug paget says in in the movie that is really powerful and he talks about how tools they are tools but tools have a have a power over you they have yes. a certain amount of control. It's like um, if you do a study of like, uh, you don't have to do a study, you can read the studies. But um, in England, when they had the gas stoves, you know, that would like, um, people would stick their head in and commit suicide. Um, the When they did away with those and they went to like whatever it was, it was like clean. It Not just suicide by that, but suicide just dropped dramatically in the country. Yes. Because yes. when people saw the stove, they associated it with killing themselves. So right. people who are already you know, prone to depression, they would see that. It's like a, it's a symbiotic relationship. And I do yes. think there is a symbiotic relationship with if you have a gun in your home and you get mad, right? Like, and you just like, you're just not even being yourself, but like your, your reasoning is gone and you get mad, you can make a mistake in 10 seconds that's going to like determine the rest of your life and possibly end the life of someone else. Due to the availability of the weapon. The availability of it, exactly. So it's like, so there is that. And that is where I push back on, you know, people who are just like, like, no, it would never happen. It's like, you're actually, when you're promoting some of these ideas, you're promoting their safety as well. Because you don't want them to do something stupid in the moment. Right either kill themselves or kill somebody else. Or, I mean, you hear these stories about people like killing their kids, sneaking in at night, you know, cause they just, they have the gun right. and they're like, you're going through and their teenagers been out partying and they're sneaking in and they shoot their teenager. You know I mean? It's just yeah. awful stuff like that, mm-hmm. that, um, you know I mean? I think that's a thing like it guns have to be taken serious. 
And it's like, it's just too light. I just feel like we treat them too lightly. You well, know, your pet issue on whether you hunt or not is very separate from the broader issues of gang violence and suicide and homicide in other places. I mean, those are separate issues. Yeah. I, I don't know why you'd conflate them, to be honest. But one of the biggest ones that bothers me is the way they misreport or misdefine things like mass shootings. And the the one that drives me crazy is if we're talking about human and human thriving and human lives – and gun violence to pretend like they're all homicides is crazy. They're mostly suicides. That's that's mm-hmm. not a, it, that isn't a gun issue. Now guns affect that issue, but suicide is a mental health and a human development issue. So if you care about that one, I think your efforts would be well focused there. But it is maybe worth noting that most of the gun deaths are that. Which right. I don't think guns are the problem. They they increase the amount of deaths which we care about. Because of the availability bias. But the issue is a different one entirely. And so then we just stack up some big number, like 38,000 people die from guns. But, I mean, more than half of them are suicides. Like, we're not talking yeah. about that? I don't, I don't get it. Well, the only thing there is that guns are way, like, if you shoot yourself, you're way more likely to actually die. Yeah, like, they're like the, yeah. yeah, they're way more effective. Right, so, so you reduce times, the suicide rate by getting rid of guns. But that's yeah. But when you talk about gun violence, people want to act like everything's a mass shooting and a, oh, a right. random yeah, homicide. Yeah. And that's not; those aren't the right numbers for that. So sometimes that can get really confusing to people. Um, yeah. But very rarely do people like to distinguish. They just want a big enough number to scare the other people, and then yeah, and that's what makes it murky for somebody like my dad, because he would probably right. quote quote that stat and go, yeah, but I mean that's just somebody that's killing themselves. You know, sh- show me the people that, that we're talking more about the violence. I think you're right though, Rex. You said this, and I think that makes a lot of sense. The idea there of the availability is important. Just the same way as uh, if you're trying to lose weight, for what's the first thing they say to do? Get rid of all the snacks in your house because if yeah, they're exactly. if they're around, practical. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, like, but that one, you know, that that one seems is you know it's less dangerous or less scary or whatever. You know, yeah, just get rid of the Cheetos or something like that. But it is true in lots of ways. You know what I mean? Like if I have a, a 24 pack of beer in the refrigerator right now, it's way easier for me to drink a few today and maybe tomorrow and something like you know what I mean, whatever. Yeah. But I I just think that that is the the big point too, and that's why I'm glad you kind of uh, did your documentary this way is that you're trying to pr- pr- show the, the whole story, maybe even get get both sides of the story in there instead of like preaching at somebody and saying your guns are evil or you're evil if you have them or something like that. I don't even think that's what Shane is doing either. Like we said, he's a very legit dude, but I like it. It, it seems like, and maybe this is, is what you're saying too. It kind of starts, helps show you how to have the conversation about it more. Yeah. Is that, is that, that a goal of the film? Yeah, absolutely. Even though like, it's really hard for me, even after two years of focusing on this, just to have conversations about it. Yeah. Like even like with my friends and my family, it just immediately goes one direction and people put their flags down and it's like, you just, it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of humility. And it's yeah. like, but the truth, the truth is, is like, if it took me going out to a shooting range and like firing some guns with some people in order to have conversations with them about this, like I would do that. That's, that's, that's great. Yeah. Like, I, I like, like so. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I mean, like, I'm just not going to be that way. And I think as long as you can be respectful to people and like understanding of their views, um, you're going to have progress in conversation, but it's, it's hard because people just, you want to be right. Yeah, you know? yeah, but that's just not the Jesus thing, though, about being right. It's, 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 we have to uh, overcome our addiction to 
knowing that we're right or something. It's like you get a good feeling from like you you gestured as rah 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 like that whatever mm-hmm. that is like and I said it and I know it yes like that feeling of righteousness yeah the righteousness feeling is one that I feel that Jesus cut against in yeah. his righteousness in a way. So we've got to moderate these numbers and not be extreme with them. We've got to try to separate the conversation into multiple different things. And we have to be willing to go to the conversation with the possibility of our minds being changed every time. Yeah. That's all, that, That's what we must at least do. Yeah. Cause I mean, the truth is like, I'm not going to sit here and say if somebody was threatening my wife or my kids and there was a gun right there, I'm not going to say I wouldn't pick it up and like use it. Or threaten with it. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. it's not that black and white. Like, like in any situation, I might be the one using the gun. But at the same time, like, that doesn't take away from, like, the bigger issues that we could be solving from, a, from up here mm-hmm. by preparing ourselves and by having conversations to train our minds. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I just, I try to stay away from the black and white thinking and try to just like generate conversation. Like that's my whole goal, you know. Well, we appreciate it very much and I've enjoyed talking to you t- today. You can go to beatingguns.com and check out the book and there's a slash forward slash documentary if you want to go there. Uh, what else do you like to tell people to do? You do screenings or have different things going? Is there stuff people can do to be participatory here at all? Yeah, I don't, I haven't been able to do screenings. Like I said, I got three kids, one on the way. <laughs> I, I have job. You know what I mean? I just, I can't like get out there and do that like I want to. Um, people can watch the film on Amazon prime though. Oh, excellent. Yeah. So it's really easy to watch. You can watch it. It's for, it's free on prime or you can buy it on Amazon or you can buy it on Vimeo, um, through the link from beatingguns.com. And if anybody wants to help me out financially, they can do it through Vimeo because you make a lot more money through Vimeo than you do on Amazon. Amazon is terrible. Like they're, they give you like pennies. So. But yeah, it looks like you can get a dollar ninety nine on Vimeo. Is that what you said? I see it. On yeah, the you can here. rent it on yeah. Vimeo, but uh, yeah. the, the, I don't really care. I want people to watch it. Like that's why we put it on Amazon Prime. It's just like we want it to get it out there, get the message out there to as many people as possible. So, well, thank you very much. Uh, tell Shane we said hello, and we'd like to have him, have him back sometime, and we could get into more specifics on policy or whatever he thinks. Here, we're open to more evidence and yeah. suggestions and everything. And uh, yeah. in the meantime, everybody go check out this cool. movie. So, thank you, Rex. Yeah, thank you guys so much. How many mass shootings do you think there are a year? Um, you must think about 24 based on your statement there every two weeks. No, I would say, what do you define as mass shooting? How many people? Like, I don't know. Good question. I would say at least uh, two to three people shot or injured. Is maybe what mm, I, I think. Would say. The, I think some of there's no agreed on guideline, and we could, this could be the wrap if you want to, as far as that we could just go there. But there's no agreed on thing. But a lot of times people will use four or more people killed by a single gunman, and then some people exclude gang violence if they can see it as such. I would say, like that's what I'm saying. In my psyche, in my brain, I would think there's at least one mass shooting a month. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I feel like it well, feels like I see it that much. Like there was just one at Texas A&M Agricultural School uh, this week or last week. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I think two people murdered, three injured. Um, So it just feels like there's always something. And that is the the biggest issue with all of this is. What does that mean for me and my kids, how we process these deaths and what that's like and that we know about it constantly have to live with it? Like, I mean, it is a hot button issue, and so media get gets to sell advertising when they talk about the shooting. That's the really mm-hmm. sick part is 
a lot of people want just get to live in the outrage of it and don't really want it to change because, I mean, it's the same thing as Trump. I mean, CNN probably hopes Trump wins again. <laughs> don't you think? Yeah, like, it's like probably n- better news, for them. I agree. Th- their I totally ratings agree. and stuff has improved. Like, their fan base goes, they're CNN or Fox News – they're either going to be pro-Trump or, or you know, super negative on Trump. And I got to hear that today because it's, it's so entertaining. It's just what it is. And so I, I think that the, the real sick part is, do people really want to change? And do they just like being on a side of it and then just staying there? Because, you yeah. you know, it's, it's really hard to shift from side to side. I mean, it just really yeah. is. And in, and in any moment, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, there is part of me that thinks it would be fun to go hunting and shooting. And then there's part of me that's like, oh, man, when I tried shooting, I didn't really like it. I was a little scared, uh, all that stuff. So, but I don't know where I'm really at on the issue. I don't, you yeah. know, I don't well, think my, my, my dad is never going to do a mass shooting. But if I happen <laughs> to, I really believe for sure if I lost my key and I was in Greer, South Carolina and just like, oh, I'll just use a credit card and open the door. He might blow me away. Yeah. Be, because yeah, of the sure. availability of the gun and he's scared and it, you can yeah it happens all the time you know what i mean yeah i mean yeah. I, I think that could happen he could accidentally kill me he wouldn't want to but i would be technically breaking into his house without him knowing it my phone's dead i'm like i ain't mm-hmm. got nowhere to go dad i wonder if dad's at home i can not always oh, not answering the door i knock three or four times i'm just gonna I'm just go in here and I'll, I'll say hey dad when i open the door but before i open the door he blows it yeah that i think that's the type of thing a cousin of mine yeah my second cousin his him and his dad were both police officers in chicago and then he went into his dad's house the one night and his dad shot him god that's awful uh so what i see cursory glance over mass shootings is from the definition i like which is four or more lone gunmen and not gang related uh that shows that there's something more like five a year yeah, which is like every two months, which yeah. isn't way inconsistent. And you could broaden that out, really. But that sounds kind of true. Yeah. Now, Washington Post, the way they count it, there's one a day. <laughs> so <it's laughs> between, the range Lord. is either between five. And now that the one I'm talking about but, comes from a website called Mother Jones, which is a very liberal, super liberal site. So it's not a right. matter of that. It's just how serious do you want to be about the numbers and what do you really want to communicate? But there's there's people that count them in such that they say mass shootings happen every day. But you mean a certain different thing. And then it's weird because some of them get big coverage and some of them don't. So right. it's not that it's that easy to know what, how much that problem is. But I do know this. 95% of schools have active shooter drills. So that in itself is a horrific thing about our life. That If there was zero mass shootings, but we had active shooter drills where every child understands what the fuck is going on, that's a huge negative to society. Huge, huge, huge negative. Now, my question is, is that necessary or helpful? But that penalty that our kids have to go through that is horrific. Is it warranted? I'm not so sure because the statistics on, you know, like I'm not too worried about mass shootings. I don't worry about them, in fact, at all. Statistically speaking, it's nothing to worry about. But all of our kids have to go through the terror of you might get shot at any given moment. And you can tell by the teacher's attitude. I mean, that changes a child to know to know that their teacher is genuinely worried about this. You remember right. when you had tornado drills and you right. had nightmares, right? Yes. And now and the, and the teachers weren't really scared of tornadoes. Now, in this case, the teachers are scared of a mass shooting. 
legitimately for themselves. And you don't think the kids get that and that does something to their mental health and their right. understanding of the world? I mean, it's like that cost alone is just devastating. And that, all those thoughts about guns now are just constantly in our brains and in our society. Yeah. So he was right. Like, that's what he was saying. Like, we live in a, a gun culture or, yeah, you know, yeah. it, it is there. Like, I, I actually do. Yeah, it is. I do now. I think the chance is probably less than 1% that something like that could happen at my kid's school. But oh, it's, it's way it's, less than one percent. I know, but, it, <laughs> but it's just it's like in my head. I mean, it's yeah, just it, in my head. Well, that's what I'm saying. If you ask people what their intuition, what is the likelihood your kid gets it, it, a, the school shooting happens right. at your? Okay, all right, just do it. Reva, could you please look up for me how many schools are there? <laughs> and then we'll take mass shootings and we'll do a fractional percentage. Now, I believe most people walk around thinking it's probably like a one or two percent chance that there'll be a mass shooting at my kid's school. That's absurd. If that was the chance, you would never let your kid anywhere near a school, right? Okay. It you says should there's... never, ever, ever do something where there's a 1% chance of you dying completely out of your control. That is a completely unacceptable risk. You would never take that risk. But I think that's how people think of it. 98,200 public schools and 34,600 private schools. Okay. And we're talking there's going to be five a and year. So what are the changes? So it's probably more than that. All right. So let's just go round that up to 10. We'll double the, conser- the, the conservative estimate that I like and say there's 10 mass shootings a year because they're not all in schools, by the way. They're right. other places. So there's way less than 10 school shootings a year where that would fit this definition, and somebody feel free to correct me. But let's just go with 10. So 10 times a year, somebody goes into a school and kills children, which that, I don't believe that is even true. But if it was, what would that make the mathematical percentage if you get the zeros right out of 130,000 schools and 10 shootings? That makes it 1 in 13,000, which is what percentage? I'm not good at math. It's just 1 divided by 13,000. Well, point zero 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 seven six. There's your chance. Okay. Now, do we need to be doing active shooter drills and causing that trauma on all the kids is my question. Right. For that percentage. But if you think it's 1%, yeah, we better drill it every week. I agree. Yeah. As a percent, it's 0.008%. Which is, I mean, that ain't nothing. And it scares me. And I think about it. And I talk to my kid about it. That's how scary it is. But we need to understand that it is more scary than likely. Yeah. No, I agree. So, again, I don't know. We're not really having any good conversations about it, but... No, I know. That's I'm trying to look up more information about it, but, yeah. And again, uh, I'm more worried about drones than guns going forward, personally, but... Uh, uh, once we have a mass drone killing, maybe we'll change the tune, but we just hadn't had it yet. And when we do, everybody will freak out of a new concern, and trust me, it's coming. Because drones are going to transcend guns entirely as weapons. They're just, why wouldn't they? They'll be drones that have gun that fire bullets or shrapnel in a way that's more efficient than guns and easier to pinpoint and more accurate and harder to trace because you don't have to be there. Well, and so, all the like, I mean, surveillance give me a and intelligence stuff, too. Right. There's a lot more. Yeah, you'd be able to write a smart. Danger. Yeah, and you had to look this up yourself, but we aren't very far off from there being able to be blockchain uh, smart contracts completely encrypted where you can hire 
a dr- somebody that owned a drone to use GPS and kill your enemy halfway across the world, and you never had to leave your computer, and you could even crowdfund the money from from a thousand people who hated one political person somewhere, put in a smart contract, completely anonymous, nobody ever has to leave their house, a drone goes somewhere and kills a person. We, we'll have that soon enough. And the so drones are going to be micro-drones. I'm not so worried about... Like yeah, there'll be micro drones. You could do it. You, yeah, you could send out ninety into a school if you wanted to, and each one would would be set to attack who you wanted and what minority for whatever reason. I mean, we'll get there, and maybe then AR-15s would be less of a big deal. All right, I wish I could have found this earlier, but this is a guy writing an article on Medium, which I love. Medium, y'all know that. I think I've called it something else one time. It was really funny, but uh, it says okay. So so this is from 2018. There have been 23 school shootings in 2018 as of May 20th. The definition of a school shooting is somewhat contentious in certain circles. That's and, not going to be right. And I'm sure it says but the CNN's definition is at least one person is shot, not including the shooter, occurs on school grounds, which could mean, you know, like you said, a gang or something like that, that is on school grounds or something. Right. Uh, school being defined as any K through 12 uh, post-secondary institution, including uh, gang, includes gang violence, fights, and domestic violence, right. uh, and includes accidental discharge of a firearm, provided criteria one and two are met, where somebody's shot, not the actually shooter. Right. Six, yeah. I mean, that, what I'm saying is, here's but a whole- But our number's closer, to, it's, it's less than 10 by what so, we all yeah, mean when somebody, we say But I'm just saying- It's not the, 23. The data stuff is what gets everybody hyped up, though, because you go, I mean, there are school shootings. Like, no matter how many, yep. there there will be- Single digits yeah. per year. We yeah. Yes, there are. So I'm, I'm just, just saying, I mean, that that is super scary. Not scary if I didn't have school kids. But since I do have school yeah. kids, like, that seems really scary. Like, the, right. I, it just makes me feel weak- like oh no, or the it makes me think about the protective mm-hmm. measures, the locked doors, totally. all totally. of those things, and the the idea, like you said, of I have to have a conversation about guns and my kids being murdered because they yes, are going to ask right. me about it. Well, you don't have to, and I don't know if it's good or not to. I don't really know. I really don't know. I, I'm torn on that, but you wouldn't have your priorities in order if that's the thing. I mean, that's so. I mean, the flu is such a much, much, much more danger. So, oh, yeah. I mean, cars you should are be more much more dangerous. worried about, yes. the, of course, cars. That's the number one danger your kids face entirely. And then I the agree. flu, way more than guns, right? way more than school shootings. But the, um, the, the, um, the, it is, it, they, they exist for creating horror. And there's no yeah. question that they create more horror than almost anything else. Right. They are well, effective. It's a terrorism. Yeah. Vibe. Well, I mean, well the, the, the great point that you make about this kind of being a red herring, too, is, I mean, it, people are getting smarter and smarter and they're way they have way more access to the Internet and to information the, it guns aren't the best way to kill a bunch of people. You're going to be able to do way worse very soon yep. with technology or with, mm-hmm. God forbid, some kind of mass, you know, disease, virus, mm-hmm plague that somebody right. puts together in their basement or something like like i mean that you're gonna pray for the days of the amount of deaths from school shootings one day well, which well, is really sad and scary I but i hope not either but it's going to happen i mean we're you're going there's something terrible is in the future and i i, I don't have any clue what it is but i'm very i mean it 
It's well, I'm glad we're lot. moving past fear mongering. We'll just leave the podcast on Toby <laughs> saying that there will be something terrible in the future. He's sure of it, but he doesn't know what it is. So good luck, everybody. Well, th- th- do this. <laughs> I'll give you a hint of what it's going to sound like. Okay, go ahead and take my gun. Get the drone, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> Dr- drones to make us safe. It, it won't matter. It'll be. It'll just going to go on and on and on. But hey, do you, you you the one that keep talking about drones? Do you foresee? A drone with a, some kind of weapon attached to it, just flying around a, wherever, a campus, a Walmart. It shoots right into the Walmart, starts just shooting people. Yeah. And, and the shooter I mean, won't even do, be we, there. Uh, you won't even mess it. Yeah. That's how we do war uh, in other countries now. Uh, the technology, we already do it. That's how it works. We're just going to, now it'll be yeah. consumer technology sooner. Okay. Then later. Okay. Whatever. I mean, I don't know what else. It'll just be the argument of, well, I need a drone to keep me safe. It scans for guns and it shoots people that have other drones. Right. I have an anti drone drone. Okay. And then we're back to the same thing again. Well, instead of spending your money on drones and, and guns <laughs> and weapons, why not join the BC Club? Let's have a conversation. And that's what's the best thing about the BC Club. The, our Facebook group, the BC Clubbers, uh, we get together in person. They're always like meeting up, having meetups and hanging out. And it's people just like you listening to this podcast that are uh, love the show and also get mad as hell, yell at me and Matt in the car all the time. It, it's just a it's really great. Like, I love the feedback the connection, the relationship, the friendships that we have with the BC Club. If you're not a part of it, if you like this show, please help us out. We sure would love you to join the BC Club. And you get extra episodes. There's all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, But you get a Daily Dose episode Monday, Tuesday, regular episodes on Wednesday, then a Thursday and a Friday episode. And there's all kinds of extras and stuff that you, uh, you probably could find as well. So let me tell you a couple of these uh clubbers here we got Devin's son heath deals is in the club he's back in the club he's back heath was gone for a little bit it's just too it was too juicy sweet for him to stay away i knew it uh anicius manlius severinus boethius uh (laughs) (laughs) these are real names that i was given then joseph michael uh williams nicholas caris caris uh adam hopkins and jeremy duncan Thank you guys for all being in the BC Club. If you're not in the BC Club, well, just shame. I, I pray for shame on you and your family. Pray for it. TheBCClub.com. God, the, may God shame you. May my God of, of the heavens and the earth of the bring uh, shame of upon all you. bring shame upon your family. I haven't prayed for shame in a long time. No, I think <laughs> I think you listen. I think this will be answered. God's going to listen to that prayer. I don't ask for much. Nope. I hadn't talked to God. I my God, I haven't prayed in years. So I, I think so and one time I, think, I do, you don't yeah. think God's going to answer yeah. it? You better join oh, the I BC Club. Will. I think he will. You better join the damn BC Club.
so three.